www.sfnewsradio.org. That's sf911truth.org. $10 admission benefits the Northern California 9-11 Truth Alliance. And this is 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Did you hear that last show? I gotta get that book on evolution. Carl Zimmer's book on evolution. I, I saw a show last night on television that I don't dare talk about because I didn't understand it. It was about human origins and it suggests with pictures that we had a mermaid-like ancestor who may still exist in the very deepest parts of the sea. Gotta be nonsense, right? 1.6 million years ago, huge eyes so that it could see down, down deep where it has retreated because, of course, we killed it off mostly, but there's some left. Now, that is a trip. (laughs) That's enough to make me go back and check it out. Uh... This morning I was trying to narrow things down till they mean something and I gave up. Uh, I'd rather go with the mermaids, that's it. I'd rather go with some screwball idea. Uh, today we got a screwball idea. We got the Democratic uh, Convention beginning, convening in that state. What is that? South Carolina, North Carolina. Anyway, you know, they're in a town where there's... Uh, no hotel with a labor union, so <laughs> so much for progress. And, of course, the Republican convention had zero effect on the popularity polls. I saw that on TV. They have little blue lines and red lines now, and they make little graphs to tell you who's up and who's down. Ah, the Democrats. Here they come, dear me. I must try. Yes, I must try to accentuate the positive. Tonight we've got Michelle Obama, the First Lady. She's a trip. Those arms, that's all about your upper arms, ladies. I hope the daughters, uh, Malia and Sasha, make an appearance. Role models. <laughs> And Michelle's mom, the first grandmother, Mrs. Robinson, yes. I'm forgetting, what's her first name, Marion? Yes, Marion, Marianne. Um, Barack always 
mentions her full name and says, uh, says, I'm not about to, uh, tell, uh, Marion Robinson what to do. She, the first grandmother, she likes to tell a story about going out shopping, you know, when she can duck the security people and, uh, she, she's in the shops buying things and she says, people come up to her and say that, uh, she looks like the president's mother-in-law, and she says to them, "Yeah, I get a, I get that a lot." <laughs> I'm guessing, I'm guessing that um, the grandmother is a very large part of the daughter's support system. Their, uh, their upbringing. Any adolescent under that kind of scrutiny uh, has got to be a, a little stressed. Uh, they were so adorable when they were little. Now they, they look a little solemn. Uh, today, I had meant to read to you uh, some excerpts from Barack Obama's first book. I thought that would be appropriate. It's called In Search of My Father. But, of course, I've loaned it out. Uh, I think my friend Roberta has it. If she has, Roberta, please call me. I've lost your phone number. Anyway... I like that book, and I recommend it highly, especially if you're a school teacher and you want to introduce your children to the man in the White House. Uh, that book is going to be part of our literary canon in the years to come. I think it's pretty good. I put it up there with Richard Wright's book, Black Boy, and James Baldwin's Go Tell It on the Mountain. Um a number of other books by black Americans. The autobiography um, is a, a whole American genre, you know. Uh, it, it's kind of our born-again tradition. These self-made men and women. Uh, I like, yeah, I think, well, Go Tell It on the Mountain, I guess, has to be my favorite, but... uh I tried to pick one for each generation, and Barack Obama is definitely a whole new scheme of things. There, There's a movie that tries to, I guess, demonize him. It's called 2016, and it suggests that Barack Obama is a man of the world, cosmopolitan, that he... Uh, he has uh, notions about what I would call a world of nations. That is, he's not uh, America first. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. It's all about his anti-colonialism and his dad in Kenya and all that nonsense. Uh, I think that if people will carefully read Barack Obama's first book, The Autobiography in Search of My Father, you get a pretty good idea of his, I guess, origins, we'll call them, uh, the ways in which, well, I, I think his Indonesian stepfather was probably the, the greatest paternal impact, but you can judge for yourself. Uh, I especially liked his stories about his sisters, uh, his mother, Yes, Stanley was her name. Yes, Stanley Ann Dunham. And, of course, those women he worked with in Chicago. 
we have to remember that uh, it is Barack's mother who educated him, got him up at five o'clock every morning and uh, schooled him. Ain't it the way? His father was definitely, uh, I would call it a mythic presence in his life. Dad died when he was in his 20s. When uh, Barack was in his 20s, his father was, I think, in his early 40s in a car wreck, that kind of thing. Uh, Barack had, uh, what is that, only spent a couple months with his dad when he was uh, around 10 years old. It was not a very satisfactory uh, period. The family didn't get along with his dad. The father was a little overbearing. Anyway, these women that he worked with in Chicago seem to me to have educated him uh, politically. One of them took him to see Entosaki Shange's play back in the 1970s. Those of us who follow these things year by year uh, remember the great play for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. I saw it over at the Geary Theater in San Francisco, and I remember I did see a great many, a great many men of color come out of that play with, uh, well, <laughs> oh, kind of sad looks on their faces. You know, they were taken aback. Uh, I think that that's part of the uh, consciousness raising of those years. And Barack understood then the plight of single women. That play was a profound statement all about the economic and emotional hell that so many of us, black and white, single women trying to raise kids on our own, the emotional hell we endured during all those years when even feminism failed to save us from lives of gnarly need and from the rage, the rage, our inner rage. Uh, I think of some of us, well, I guess we had those lives, uh, the lives of the you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's a genre. I keep thinking it's over and then I run into a, a woman who's still in that predicament. Enough, enough, Jennifer. I'm old now and I'm much too wise. A survivor has no right to bitch. Uh, the personal was political then and... It's political now. That's why I want to watch Michelle Obama tonight to see just how the First Lady spins this war on women. I'm sure she will try to make the big generalities, make it universal, you know, how it's a war on, uh, well, the poor. I wonder if she'll use words like poverty or... Yes, the. The four-letter words, rich and poor, almost Victorian nowadays. Uh, I tried to make a list of what's on the screens these days. Something I could tell you that uh, would give us hope. You know, watch the trends, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, and 
I'm afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid, you know, talk about euphemisms. It's not just Orwellian. There, there's one show I can recommend. It's called Newsroom. It's very self-conscious, even precious. At first I thought no, but now I have to say uh, yes. It's a drama series on HBO. And it's just about the only progressive script, I mean upfront progressive, that really uses the words. Uh, Sam Waterson plays a significant elder, uh, the guy who's trying to turn the newsroom into a <laughs> into a newsroom, right? He um, lists the sins of the right wing, talks about the Tea Party crowd and the uh, the well the Republican Party platform, and he. He declares at the end of that sequence, he declares that it is the American Taliban. Those are the words he uses. Quote, yes, the American Taliban. We've had that for a week now. We've finished with that. (laughs) I'm saving I'm saving my notes on Paul Ryan and his love for Ayn Rand and individualism. I'll save that for another day, maybe. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the um, uh, the show newsroom, you know, it goes right for the Koch brothers and it talks about British Petroleum and uh, uh, the assassination of bin Laden. Anyway, it takes real news and tries to analyze what the mass media could have done, should have done when those events uh, transpired. Uh, anyway, he basically, well, the, the uh, script basically tells us that there's no place like Rome and it's burning. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think what I'll do today... Uh, I wanted to, well, I wanted to tell you some things uh, about what's happening in Marathon, but I think I'll save that for next week. Um, yes. <laughs> what have I got here? Ale to the chief. Barack Obama is brewing beer. Ale to the chief. I hope they use that for the um, Democratic National Convention, uh, anything, you know, last week, all that know-nothing nihilism and fact-free fascism and all those people trying to get us to vote against our own best interests and the general malaise and Clint Eastwood, uh, I have a residual headache that just won't go away. I tried to deconstruct all that stuff, but... I think, you know, just check out the late night comedians, the Bill Mars and, you know, the Daily Show and the Colbert Report and all those things. That movie, The Dictator's kind of cute. Uh, the, the satirists are having a field day, but the truth is, you know, you could just set the actual speeches to music and it would be just as good, yes. That Paul Ryan, I think, I I did check out just just for my own my own um what is it I was trying to clear my mind uh because I think Ayn Rand is a is a definite sidebar 
I don't think most people understand why her uh, her little cult was uh, what dangerous or um, just stupid. I checked out um, a movie called The Passion of Ayn Rand just to see, and the movie's pretty good. It gives you a pretty good picture of a woman who's buried in narcissism and selfishness and who comes up with a terrific idea to make money. <laughs> anyway, uh, Helen Mirren plays Ayn Rand, uh, and uh, she looks around at the general malaise, and she comes up with this idea Think of Synanon, right? Uh, she tells people they should join her group. And, of course, uh, that's, yes, that's all about the money. And uh, she tells them that they should be individualists all the way. And she makes a cult out of it. She's married, and she has a, she married a guy when they were both uh, uh, extras down in Hollywood and the actor is Peter Fonda he's got a wonderful scene towards the end and he's talking to the young woman the wife of the young man that Ayn Rand insists be her lover yes she's very demanding of others but uh, she does not understand that her own demands might have some effect on those people around her she has no collective consciousness uh, anyway the character, the husband of Ayn Rand, played by Peter Fonda, he has a wonderful scene where he says to this young woman who's suffering badly from the general nastiness of Ayn Rand's uh, narcissism, he's talking about the cult, the group that Ayn Rand founded. And he said, I never, I never understood any of it, but, you know, she earns the money, that kind of thing. Uh, it was a con, um, snake oil. Anyway, check out The Passion of Ayn Rand if you're the least bit interested. Uh, you can find it on, uh, let's see, the Stars Network uh, has that movie, Passion of Ayn Rand. Uh, let's see, you can also find the movies of the two books, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. I watched The Fountainhead again the other day just to make sure it was what I remembered, and it it's pretty god-awful. It has these beautiful actors. The uh, Well, it's Gary Cooper, Gary Cooper, age 42, I think, and then the beautiful Patricia Neal, age 22. Story is they were having an affair and wrecked his marriage, something like that, and this got... Um, Patricia Neal, ostracized by the Hollywood community. <laughs> anyway, it's this hilarious movie. Reminded me of The Sheik. Yes, there's a kind of a dramatic uh, seduction scene. Gary Cooper looked very foolish, but she goes around with this riding crop. And, you know, it's the Fountainhead was the sort of thing that had a dreadful effect on my teenage psyche at the time. Uh, I thought it was terrific, but it was, uh, I guess, S&M, basically, but uh, I certainly would not recommend it for the young, but it was the kind of uh, nonsense that Hollywood was so good at. Uh, I think even of Jane Eyre, you know, the uh, ferocious male, the masculine and feminine, the clash of...
spirits or souls. Uh, Gary Cooper was obviously too old for that woman. I, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not supposed to make fun of old men. My mother always told me that was infinitely cruel, that the one thing the male could not bear was to be laughed at. Uh, I said, what about the female? And she said, well, we, we're used to it. Uh, I was thinking of Clint Eastwood. I did try not to laugh. He was, uh, well, he is 82 years of age, and he was rather foolish the other night, um, trying to do a, a little bit of stand-up, talking to the president, you know, in the empty chair. Uh, seems to be the only thing anybody remembers from the Republican convention. Uh, I'm not sure. Clint Eastwood, age 82. I know what it makes me think of. It made me think of uh, Kurt Vonnegut. What have I got here? Yes, Kurt Vonnegut is dead now. We've lost him. But when he was 81, same age as Clint Eastwood uh, the other night. Let's see the date on this little piece. It's from In These Times, and it's written by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, published in May of 2004, eight years ago. This was, uh, I'm not sure when Kurt Vonnegut died, uh, four or five years ago, I think. A uh, little piece he wrote called Cold Turkey, and I can't resist reading you a little bit of it because uh, this is before our great great repression. Uh, what, what are we having? Uh, we're having a recession. <laughs> None of the words fit, people. Uh, I was born at the height of the Great Depression and uh, didn't bother me a bit. Let's see what Kurt says. He says, many years ago, I was so innocent. He wrote this in 2004 now, when he was 81. Many years ago, I was so innocent, I still considered it possible that we could become the humane and reasonable America so many members of my generation used to dream of. We dreamed of such an America during the Great Depression. He means the one in the 30s. When there were no jobs. And then we fought and often died for that dream during the Second World War when there was no peace. But now I know that there is not a chance in hell of America's becoming humane and reasonable because power corrupts us and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Human beings are chimpanzees who get crazy drunk on power. By saying that our leaders are power-drunk chimpanzees, am I in danger of wrecking the morale of our soldiers fighting and dying in the Middle East? Their morale, like so many bodies, is already shot to pieces. They are being treated, as I never was, like toys a rich kid got for Christmas. Uh, when you get to my age, if you get to my age, which is 81, and if you have reproduced, you will find yourselves asking your own children, who are themselves middle-aged, what life is all about. I have seven kids, four of them adopted. 
Many of you reading this are probably the same age as my grandchildren. They, like you, are being royally shafted and lied to by our baby boomer corporations and government. I put my big question about life to my biological son, Mark. Mark is a pediatrician, author of a memoir, The Eden Express. It's about his crack-up straitjacket and padded cell stuff from which he recovered sufficiently to graduate from Harvard Medical School. Now, yes, Dr. Mark Vonnegut said this to his doddering old dad. Father, we are here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. So I pass that on to you. Write it down and put it in your computer so you can forget it. <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut goes on to say in this article in In These Times, written in 2004, he says... I have to say that's a pretty good soundbite, almost as good as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. A lot of people think Jesus said that because it's so much the sort of thing Jesus liked to say, but it was actually said by Confucius, a Chinese philosopher. Five hundred years before there was that greatest and most humane of human beings named Jesus Christ. The Chinese also gave us via Marco Polo pasta and the formula for gunpowder. Yes. Uh, yes, and the fireworks, right. The Chinese were so, so dumb they only used the gunpowder for fireworks, right. Everybody was so dumb back then that nobody in either hemisphere even knew that there was another one that is another hemisphere. Uh, I was reading about, uh, I'm busting into the uh, article by Kurt Vonnegut, and I was reading the other day about uh, Barack Obama. He has a uh, half-brother who is an entrepreneur in China. He seems to have a relative in just about every country on the planet. I, I think that bodes well in spite of this new movie that's trying to criticize him for not being 100% American, whatever that means, I think. Barack Obama is just about the perfect, uh, what would you call that, Creole icon. He certainly is half white, if you think that his European mother, well, Kansas, I don't know, uh, his Euro-American mom is half of his uh, genetic makeup. He chose to be black because that's the way Americans figure these things, you know, if you have any visible, visible African ancestry, you will be called a black American, an Afro-American, African-American. They're going to fuss about this till hell freezes over, but uh, anyway, let me finish up with dear old Kurt Vonnegut. He says, I'm going back, back to people like Confucius and Jesus and my son, the doctor, Mark. People who've said how we could behave more humanely and maybe make the world a, a less painful place. One of my favorites is Eugene Debs. <laughs> From my native state of Indiana. 
Get a load of this, Eugene Debs, who died back in 1926, when I... Kurt Vonnegut was only four. Uh, he ran five times as the Socialist Party candidate for president. He won 900,000 votes. Wow. Six percent of the popular vote, if you can imagine such a ballot. Here's what he said during his campaign. As long as there is a lower class, I am in it. As long as there is a criminal element, I am of it. As long as there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Kurt Vonnegut goes on to tell us about the Beatitudes. I'll save the Beatitudes for next week after I've seen the Democratic Convention. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy... Go as easy as you can. Drop the shadows This is Summer Reese, Interim Executive Director of the Pacifica Foundation and Chair of the Pacifica National Board. I'd like to invite you to participate in your radio station by becoming a candidate for the local station board. Pacifica is the first and only truly listener-supported radio network in the country. We are the other public radio made possible by you. We depend on our many listeners and volunteers to make this incredible radio station the unique voice that it is in the community. A great way to support your station is to become a member of the local station board, where many of the important decisions about your radio station are made. The great news is that we have extended the deadline to become a candidate to September 13th, 2012. So, if you've been thinking about becoming a candidate, now is the time. We need your skills, energy, and talent to make us better than ever. It's easy, too. To get all the details and become involved at a whole new level, just go to your station's website, where you can contact your local election supervisor, get the information you need, and sign up to be a candidate. 